Welcome to another episode of the Providence Friarcast, presented, presented by, by PCBB, 1917.com. Your home for Providence College basketball news, notes, and opinions. Now here's the founder of PCBB, 1917.com, and your host, Mike Hopkins. And we're back here for another episode of the Providence Friarcast. Again, joined uh, by Brendan McGarren and Chris Grenham for another week. Um, I know uh, some people out there, uh, Doug Dowdy might might throw some shade at the podcast on Twitter today. I don't know <laughs> if anybody saw. Doug and I got in a little dust up over his uh, AP ballot. He and his entire family came after me today. Um, but this is now, I think, what, the third episode of the Providence Friarcast that we're all together here. Uh, Providence had a one and one week, uh, beating Ryder on Wednesday in uh, somewhat less comfortable fashion than I think everyone was expecting. And then obviously on Saturday, the uh, the big rivalry loss at the, down to Ryan Center, uh, snapping their seven game winning streak over URI. Uh, so we'll talk about all that. We're going to also preview the upcoming games against Brown and UMass towards the end. Uh, but we're going to open up with uh, a little Ryder talk. Uh, obviously not exactly the, the final score maybe that people wanted to see, but it's a win, and, you know, kind of November is all about just getting wins. 88-84, uh, a big second half by Ryder with 53 points. That's the most uh, Providence has given up in in any half this season so far. Uh, Brendan, I'll start with you. Give me your, your one big takeaway positive and then one big takeaway negative. I mean, my biggest takeaway positive was the Friars raced out to a 14-point lead in the first half and thought, okay, this is what you're supposed to do against a team from the MAC. You kind of take the, the killer instinct out of them from the get-go, but Ryder hung tough. They came back, and they really, it was it was life or death scary at the end. I mean, Chris, you were there too. It was just, uh, yeah. you know, they had a shot at the end to tie the game. You're thinking, oh, is this a, a problem? Because when maybe my biggest concern was because the night before Brown had played URI and URI just whipped the stuffing out of them. That that game wasn't even close. So you're thinking, okay, where's this team's mindset going into a hostile environment? The first true hostile environment of the year going down to the Ryan Center on Saturday. And, you know, it was a little bit shaky. And Ed Cooley admitted as much afterwards. Right now, this team doesn't have the grit. And it's one thing to be all these tight games that the Friars have been in thus far. And, and prior to Saturday at the Ryan Center, they had done pretty well in them. But, you know, grit will only, I guess, uh, that's a major component right now that Ed Cooley thinks is missing from this team. Yeah, it was pretty clear um, in the beginning of the second half. They didn't they didn't have the grit. Like you said, the Riders' energy was just kind of blew uh, the Friars out of the water, which was weird because the Friars played so well in the first half. I don't know if it's maybe they settled and, started thinking about the URI game on Saturday or what, but it was clear that the the energy was just not there. Um, and whether that was settling or not, I'm not really sure. Uh, one of the big things that really stood out to me in being there and also looking back at the stat sheets, and it's been reiterated plenty so far this year, but the efforts of Khalif Young and Nate Watson on the glass, uh, Ryder wasn't a very big team. They're a MAC team and they're, and they're not, they're long on the wing and stuff, but they're not the biggest team that Providence will face. Uh, Khalif and Nate combined for three rebounds on the night. You know, that's not ideal. Um, Alpha Diallo had 13 boards and he had six or seven offensive rebounds, which is great. That's helping 
the problems on the glass and especially on the offensive end, but it's not really going to, you know, you can't really rely on him, especially going into Big E's play. So in terms of concerns, I thought Khalif Young and Nate being a continuous problem, you know, needing to increase their production on the on the glass was really an issue. I thought one of the nice bright spots was, um, you know, towards the end of the first half, maybe final seven minutes or so, uh, Cooley went small and he threw out a lineup with Kyron, Makai, Ashton Langford, and Malik White. And they went out to like a 14 to two run in a, in a couple minutes and gave him that 14 point lead that Brendan was just talking about. So I think it's great to see the options and Cooley's still kind of figuring out the depth, but the idea that they can go small um, against a team like Ryder and, and be extremely effective is great. And also Malik White just kind of embracing his role off the bench. So that was that was good to see. I agree that that, that lineup, it's going to be interesting because similar things kind of happened on Saturday where he was trying out different lineups. He had Makai right. and Kyron out there a lot together to mix results um, to a certain extent. But uh, just to throw a stat out at people um, to, to talk about more about this halftime, second-half scoring thing problem, uh, 53 points, like I said, the most they've given up. They also gave 50 in the second half to Minnesota. Those are the two 50-point halves so far. But uh, Providence has so far in their first half um, points allowed, 30.4 points per game, second half 40.1. It's normal in college basketball for the second half to outscore the first half, um, but not by 10 points. It should not be that stark of a difference. And also 40 is a pretty high number for a second half. Um, for a Providence team, I think um, was coming in aver- giving up like 67 a game, so um, really not not and, and they did a very good job. And it's sort of just to go back a little bit to BC, um, they did such a good job against those guards, especially Jordan Robinson, shutting him down essentially. And in the first half, they did a pretty good job on Jordan Allen in the Ryder game. He had a little bit of foul trouble, but he also um, they did a pretty good job. And then all of a sudden, in the second half, he just went nuts. I think he finished with 28 points. And uh, so I, it, it's, I don't know if we are going to be able to solve any of the, the problems, but I don't know if it's just coming out of the locker room, they need to kind of get back into the swing a little. They're a little slow getting back, or, or that maybe a lineup like you were just saying, Chris, about how the end of that, first half they had a, a smaller lineup out there and then all of a sudden you just run back the starters by default in the second half right. and it's right. maybe not you know so maybe that's something to consider i i feel like for coaches though that's sort of like a it's just like something you do you know you know you always just start the half with your starters uh unless there's something going on but um just interesting that it's almost a 10 point difference from first to second half i think that just speaks to um some kind of a problem. I don't know what it is exactly, but it's something that I think that needs to be addressed because if you do that in Big East play, which is rapidly approaching, and you allow a Big East team to be more energetic than you and, and jump on you early in a half, it, it could, especially on the road, I mean, it's it's not easy to win on the road as it is. So they need to figure out a way to be more measured out of each out of the second half. Yeah, and I feel like we've been saying that a lot. Recently, just like fixing problems prior to Big East play, at some point, you know, they're going to have to get, they're going to have to make these adjustments prior to Big East play. Um, you know, otherwise, it's going to be, it's going to be a huge problem. Is it more you guys think that the issue is with guys, especially, you know, we've talked about the depth that this team has and it's uncanny and compared to Cooley teams from his earlier regime. Is it more guys still don't under, 
completely understand their role coming off the bench. We touched upon Malik White. He's the one guy who seems to embrace his role coming off the bench. And me and the other thing is too, and we'll probably touch on this as well, a guy like Isaiah Jackson who who began the year in the starting lineup. He's gone to the bench and for the most part he really hasn't been heard from him. He only played token minutes the other day against URI. We we'll get into that game more specifically, but I think that the larger point is, do guys understand their roles coming to the bench? Are they playing with guys or paired up with guys in practice comparable to what they are in the game time? Or is it more, you know, oh, I'm not used to really playing with this guy. It's going to maybe take a little bit of an adjustment period. Is there still kinks that need to be worked out in terms of rotations? I think there's no doubt rotations are something that needs to be worked out, but I don't know that yeah. it's the players as much figuring out their roles like I think they kind of all get it like Nate Watson's coming off the bench he kind of gets his role Diasha Lankford has been coming off the bench the last few games he knows his role Malik White scoring the ball off the bench that's his role I think people kind of know I think it's now more that Cooley needs to figure out when to push certain buttons and when to get guys into a position where they can be unleashed and the lineup makes sense and they can be get into a rhythm. I mean, there's there's so many components, but I think it's really at this point on Cooley more than the players. I don't know, Chris, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think in particular, I think with Isaiah, it might be part of the adjustment period that Brendan had kind of mentioned. Um, you know, last year he did a lot of starting and a lot of coming off the bench. He kind of split time. Um, and at least in my opinion, he was always more effective when he started. So maybe that's just Maybe it's a mental thing where he's starting on the bench. Maybe he's a little lax coming out, and he doesn't get a chance to get into a flow because by the time he does, Cooley takes him out. I'm not really sure. But with him, I just think he's not as effective as a bench player, and obviously that's something he's going to need to fix going forward if he wants to continue to get any minutes. I think he's averaging just under 12, I believe. Um, but I think for him it might be an adjustment thing because he plays kind of a slow, methodical type pace, and, and maybe that takes some time coming off the bench. but. Uh, you know, guys like Drew and stuff, uh, you know, I, th- I think it does really go back to Cooley in terms of rotations like you were talking about, Mike. I think that's fair on, on Jackson. Um, I, I just wonder if there's something going on with him, maybe just going out of the starting lineup. Um, that, that's maybe it's a probably, confidence issue or something like that. Yeah, uh, so, something could be happening there where he just needs to snap out of it, which he, he showed last year that he can do for stretches. Yeah, 11.8 minutes a game, so um, just ahead of Drew Edwards, but about four and a half minutes behind Malik White, and almost a full six behind uh, Makai Ashton Lankford. So, yeah, there there might be something to that with Jackson. I just think that, uh, and we can get more into URI, I guess, now. Just I think we're we're done with Ryder. Um, we looked right past them, and, and they still won the game. So um, I guess we'll look right past them here. But... Um, <laughs> As as for Saturday, I, I first let me just preface everything I'm about to say by the fact that I watched this game from a bar in New York, New Jersey. Um, Chris and Brendan were at the game, so uh, take what they say maybe a little more heavy, heavily weighted than what I just watching on TV with no sound um, before a Garth Brooks concert can can say. But um, I, my impression just kind of it just felt like. At no point in the game, once once URI went on that run in the first half, I think it was like a 15-0 run when they they got out to that big, you know their their lead in the first half that they sort of never gave up. 
I just, especially down the stretch, I just never felt like Providence really was ever going to come all the way back. It just seemed like URI, every time Providence would get, make two, you know, go on a little mini run, they couldn't get the stop against URI the next time down the floor. They were just, they would make a jump shot, they would get a backdoor cut, they would do something. And Fats Russell in the first half was a big, a big reason why um, URI went on that run. And that's sort of what you need in a rivalry game. You need somebody like that to kind of come out of the woodwork. Um, Jared Terrell um, had a good game, but I, it, I think it, you know, Jarvis Garrett. Well, I was very impressed. I, I kind of last podcast mentioned how I thought he had kind of leveled off, and I was surprised by that. And he he talked about before the game that he got he got bested last year by Cartwright, uh, and I think the exact turn turn of the tables happened on Saturday. Cartwright just. I don't know what it was. He basically, I mean, he had two points, but they were right at the end of the game. He basically didn't score. He he wasn't doing any facilitating to speak of, although he did get his 500th career assist, maybe not in the way he wanted to. Um, but I I don't know. I mean, Chris, what what did you what being there? First of all, we should talk about the environment, I guess. So so let's start with the environment, and then from there, just give me your give me your uh, your top line thoughts. Yeah, um, I mean. Granted, this was the first PC URI game that I had been to at the Ryan Center. So take that into consideration when I'm talking about the environment. But I can honestly say that it was one of the better environments I've ever watched a college basketball game in live. I mean, there was no doubt that I know there's been a lot of back and forth between PC fans and URI fans on if this is their Super Bowl, if they have more important games and a lot of you know chirping going back and forth. But there's no doubt that this is their biggest game at the Ryan Center of the year. They were literally from the beginning of warmups. Their student section was loud. It was really, really hostile. Um, in the beginning of the game, there was a couple whistles that actually couldn't be heard from the floor and play continued, so the refs were struggling with that. Um, so it was a tremendous climate. I mean, it, that's really what makes college basketball so great. You don't get an environment like that in the pros or anything. So it was really, really great um, to watch a game, and obviously it wasn't the result we were looking for. Um, and like you said, answering runs and, and that kind of thing, URI always seemed to answer when Providence was about to, you know, punch through, whether it was, uh, whether it was at the end of a little mini run or something, but they, they always had an answer. Um, and I think just from watching the game at a glance, it was kind of clear that URI wanted it more. And I don't know if that goes back to the grit issue that Brendan was speaking of earlier, or if it goes back to the fact that this is URI's Super Bowl, and that's really this is the game that they had marked no matter what. Um, so I think it could go either of those ways, but it was clear that they really wanted it more. Um, you talk about Kyron. He did really disappear. Um, Brendan, I don't know if you heard this, but right behind the press desks, there was a kid in the front row who from the get-go was heckling the hell out of Kyron just nonstop. And I kept, you know, <laughs> wanting to turn around and just being like, you know, uh, he'll pick it up. He'll be fine, you know, whatever. And, and he never did. You know, he was, the kid turned out to be spot on. Um, but that was pretty disappointing. Uh, I did not think that would that would be the case. Uh, but obviously, that's really the headline uh, you got to look for. If you're looking at a little deeper into it, Khalif and Nate had some trouble. They combined for six rebounds, which obviously isn't great. Um, and then Makai, I really loved the way he played. He had, uh, you know, he had 12 points, and I thought his composure – in an environment like that was really great to see out of an underclassman. So that was a positive. Uh, but again, there's a lot of negatives and I don't even want to talk about free throw shooting cause that'll drive me insane. But, uh, but there's a lot you can nitpick from that game. It was, it was a lot of fun despite the result. Uh, my biggest takeaway was Rodney Bullock. He had two field goals, like in the opening, like four minutes and 
only mm-hmm. two over the final what thirty four minutes or so would play. I mean, yeah. it's, it's one of the, it's one of the, against again one of those you know Jekyll and Hyde games from uh, Ronnie Bullock where you know he looks good. He came out. TC won the opening tap. He came down with a strong slam dunk. You think okay that kind of maybe hushes up the crowd a little bit. He had a nice turnaround in the paint. It looked like a. Uh, PC was making it a point to go underneath the early going, but I don't know if, if it was more URI pushing him off the blocks because maybe they've seen, you know, if, if they don't get a production out of Watson or Khalif Young, that, you know, Cooley is using Bullock at the five more and more. So it was, was it more about maybe pushing him out to try to make him less comfortable? And another guy, Jalen Lindsay, you know, he had a huge basket in the second half that uh, brought the Friars to within three. It was one of those, uh, you know, it was after a Makayash and Langford, he rebounded, I think, a, Tur- a Jared Terrell missed. He pushed the ball, got into the paint, of the, and he kicked it back out for a uh, three-pointer. But, you know, Cooley has repeatedly talked about how his three seniors, you know, Bullock, Lindsey, and Cartwright, those are, the, those are the guys who kind of, like, you know, drive the bus here. And all three of them had subpar games. And when that happens, all three of them at the same time, you can at least maybe live with two of them having subpar games, but if all three of them are uh, going to struggle like they did Saturday at the Ryan Center, you, know, you saw the result. Yeah, and it was kind of bizarre, because J- I thought Jalen was pretty good on defense. You know, he was on Terrell for a lot of the game, and Terrell was 2 for 11 from the field, so I thought he was pretty good on that end, but it was really bizarre, because Jalen's normally not someone who plays a Rodney, like, Jekyll and Hyde type game. Um, so I thought that was a little odd, and I'm not sure if it was the pressure of the game or the environment that's getting to them. Obviously, that's not something you're looking for out of your senior leaders. They're the ones who are supposed to step up in environments like that. So, you know, it's a positive that Makai and Nate Watson both were in double digits and played well, but those aren't the guys you're looking for to step up in games like that. So, yeah, obviously Rodney and Jalen were huge concerns as well. And if you're uh, those guys, you know, Lin- Lindsay or uh, Bullock and Cartwright, and you see Watson and Ashton Langford acquit themselves well in an environment like that. Do you have to wonder? Do you think uh, it's uh, my role not as cemented as maybe I thought he did coming into the year? Are these freshmen maybe coming after me a little bit? I don't know. It just uh, games it's like gotta that. Got to put the thought like, in their head, you know. They have to put a thought in their head, like you know, yeah. whoever thought that Makai Ashton Langford, you know, we've heard about how talented he is and how highly recruited he was. You know, I thought what he did the other day was very, very impressive. A big time environment like that and. Um, and then you come, you look at somebody like Cartwright, who missed uh, probably the, maybe the biggest shot of the game, the one and one coming out of the timeout. That he was even more magnified when Jared Terrell came down and actually hit a basket. Was something he didn't do very often on Saturday. But you know, I'm sure Ed Cooley wasn't thinking, okay, if they, if we're going to make a run at this, we're not going to have a sophomore, Alpha Diallo, who I thought maybe turned in his best game. Maybe of the season, obviously, maybe of his career as well, given the, the given the stakes, um, and having two freshmen and a sophomore lead us back, where you have three seniors who are battle tested. They've been in plenty of wars before, and all three of them, like we said, was they're all pretty much non-factors. I think the the one thing that struck me just watching Cartwright struggle is it really reminded me of that early January game last year when they that when they played Creighton, um, when. Um, Cartwright had one point and two assists in twelve minutes that night, and obviously he he had a, a big game and, and hit the game winner. Next time they played Creighton, so it'd be interesting to see. And obviously they're not going to play URI again this year, and Cartwright will never play URI unless they meet somehow in the NCAA tournament this year. But 
Um, it'd be interesting to see if maybe Cartwright takes takes out his angst on Brown in the in the next game. Um, he should at least be able to overmatch his opponent, at least physically, being a senior against um, a player from the Ivy League. But I really I agree with everything you guys are saying about Alpha Diallo. He was just very impressive. Um, but another interesting aspect, we were talking lineups, and I think this is going to be kind of a theme all year. We're talking lineups probably every podcast. But uh, I, I think that it was interesting that Cooley seemed to push Cartwright off the ball a little bit and let Mackay sort of initiate a little more than he has earlier in the season. So that's interesting um, because I, I don't know that Cartwright is really the scorer that you really wanted the two. I, I think I saw someone say this somewhere uh, that if you're going to have, if you're going to have push Mackay onto the ball and have Kyron go off the ball, you might as well bring in Malik White instead because that's more, I mean, it just seems like Cooley really at this point is almost just like looking for the hot lineup. And I, I really don't think he's, he's figured out how to, how to really maximize everyone. Um, I think a game like this too, I don't know if we, Need to mention this over and over again, but I think it's worth at least mentioning here. I mean, Emmett Holt would have been a huge factor in this game. Would have been a big problem for URI matchup wise. So, and that, and that again, that, that's sort of the the genesis of a lot of these lineup things. Part of it is the fact that they have depth this year, certainly. But the other part is that everyone is shifting now, up or down. That we were talking about on a previous podcast. Everyone's kind of going up and down because there is no Emmett Holt. So, um, like Brendan was mentioning, maybe they're sliding. Bullock up to the five a little more, or maybe they're going to go with a bigger lineup maybe in the future against other opponents, a bigger team in the Big East or something. But the the lack of Emmett Holt was huge. Obviously, URI didn't have EC Matthews. I'm not trying to, to compare it that way. I'm just talking Providence's style of play, and they, they, they really missed Emmett Holt in this game specifically, and I think you'll see it more as we get into Big East play. Um, but really the the... The most impressive players, I think we all agree, Alpha Diallo and Micaiah Shen-Langford. Uh Would love to see Jalen Lindsay get more shots. Um, again, I don't know. That was kind of a, a, a something that happened last year, and it has sort of been a, a thing over his entire career where he, he, he'll have games where he'll make two or three, four three-pointers, and then the next game he takes one shot. And it, you don't know if it's his lack of assertiveness, the fact that he doesn't dribble uh, probably doesn't help things. But his lack of assertiveness, or is it more that they need to get him the ball, they need to run things for him more, or, or is it, I, I really don't, to me, he's he's at his best when he's just getting shots in the flow of the offense, and uh, I, there's got to be a way to make him be a more consistent shot taker, because he's been making the shots this year, um, but to only have two shots in, in this game, I mean, he made them both, but he only had two shots, and um with Providence at this point, they're still ranked second in the country in three-point percentage. He's a big weapon in that regard. So overall, I think um, we're all in agreement in this game. Um, URI just wanted it more, I think. Um, I, I sort of had a feeling ahead of these, this game that it was either going to be really, really close and come down to the last possession or one of the teams was going to win by like 10 or 15 points. Obviously, they didn't win by 10 or 15, but just these rivalry games, you kind of always feel like one of the teams wants it more and when there's a streak like this, seven seven wins in a row. The senior class, like we were talking about last time, has never beat Providence. Um, 
So I, to me, the bottom line is that you're not going to win many games this year when Cartwright does not play well like that. And URI wanted it more. Um, that That's, to me, really just what it all comes down to. Yeah, and, and I think uh, I think there is one, you know, glass half full way that you can kind of look at it in terms of URI. You know, URI is a great team. Um, and you could say that Providence had 21 turnovers and shot under 50% from the free throw line and still lost by less than 10. So they were in it, and I guess that is a positive. Um, and another positive, you know, that's an odd way to look at the game, but that is one way you could look at it. Um, and at least in my opinion, a positive that is more of a future outlook on this game is, uh, and on this rivalry is you have to be excited to watch Fats, Russell, and Makai Ashland Langford go at it for the next couple of years because Russell can, I mean, they both proved on, on Saturday that they can really play even in big situations, but Russell's going to be a lot of fun to watch over the next couple of years. He's quick. He's got a really good ability to finish in transition. And Makai proved himself as a big game player as well. So the fact that we're going to be able to watch those two go head to head for hopefully another three years, you know, I don't know how their pro careers or pro aspirations will turn out, but the fact that we can watch them go head to head is going to be a, a ton of fun. Um, and like you said, I'm kind of interested to see how Kyron responds. He's never really had a game like that. I know, the Creighton game you were talking about, um, he didn't do much. I'm pretty sure he got injured that game as well and left early against Creighton. So I don't know if he's ever really had a game like this. That was a big game that he's just kind of disappeared. So, you know, it is against kind of a shorthanded Brown team uh, on Wednesday, but I, I'm interested to see how he responds. I am too. The uh, the other thing that I was thinking about too, this, and I don't know if you were, Chris, but during the course of Saturday when mm -hmm. the Friars were still down like double figures, you know, 10 minutes to go. You know, we've talked about this depth. We're probably going to beat this like a dead horse the whole year. You know, do you, do you think that maybe at some point that Cooley was going to throw a little token pressure at them? And I know foul trouble maybe kind of dictated that with uh, Makai Ashton Lafer. He was in foul trouble and Alpha Diallo, you know, yeah. and ended up following Alpha. You have Malik Light. You have somebody like a Drew Edwards just to throw in there or, or, or an Isaiah Jackson for that matter, just to like, you know, switch it up a little bit and try to. What kind of was like frustrating to watch a little bit was how the Friars were maybe dead set of trying to beat the Rams in the half court, where yeah. you know that's not really that was like maybe playing to URI's strength a little bit. I thought instead of yeah. maybe you know trying to take advantage of your depth, maybe throw a little pressure at them because one thing that we haven't seen too often from this Friar team this season is throwing pressure at an opposing team and. Maybe that wrinkle would have been the spark to like get them back in the game. You maybe all of a sudden you get a couple quick points and it's down to six, and you give a little food for thought to wondering, uh, you know. But I just was surprised that uh, Cooley didn't throw a little bit of a like a press there, like a three quarter trap, a little bit just to mix it up when they got when, yeah. they, when they were still down double digits. I'm I'm really happy you said that because that drove me nuts, um, especially watching that second half. Even and, and when they started to cut the lead into single digits, you, you would think that. With the depth, they would have thrown some full-court press um, at URI's direction because URI seemed to be thriving uh, in the half-court offense. Even when they weren't getting the buckets, they were still finding open looks um, a lot of the time. And in years past, Cooley's teams have been relatively good uh, in full-court uh, stretches. And, you know, it kind of reminded me of the BC game last year where they lost. They went into a full-court press really late in that one and, and suddenly, you know, had a spark, but it was too late. Um, and... You know, URI is a team that went three deep into their bench on Saturday. Providence, on the other hand, went six deep into their bench. So it's, you know, you have the legs for it. I don't really know what was 
preventing them. Like you said, maybe it was foul trouble, but I 100% agree. I, I would have loved to have seen them go into a full court press, at least for a few possessions there. Yeah, Cooley just doesn't seem like he wants to press. I don't know what it is. I mean, really the it's only game that... Yeah. yeah, I mean, the Boston College game last year was the only game I really remember where they pressed, and that was just out of desperation, and they almost right. came all the way back. And people were arguing maybe if they had pressed a little earlier, you know. Uh, to me, he's shown a little bit in the early in November, he's sh- shown a little like token two two one. He's he's shown a little bit of that with like Diallo at the, you know up there trying to bother somebody, but it's just token. I mean, he has, they're, they're, I mean maybe he's playing rope a dope and doesn't want to put it on tape because he wants to use it in a league play. But my sense is he maybe just doesn't like to press, um, and and maybe he's still adjusting again to the fact that there's actual depth on this team that he can use should he want to press. Like he could just. He could he could bring out like the the Ted Bancroft special where he just brings in like Drew Edwards and has Drew Jalen Alpha and like just like the all press team. I mean, if you really hey, need he to brought, he brought in he brought in Planick at the end of the game and Planick right. immediately grabbed got a steal, steal. so yeah. it's got something there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I and that I was don't interesting know. too. Talking about talking about Planick coming, we were talking about Isaiah Jackson before. Jackson wasn't in the game when Planick was subbed in, correct? My he was on the bench. I don't think he, he was on the bench. Yeah, happened. right. He played. I think Jackson got like two minutes. So that's interesting that he decided to bring Planikin over Jackson there. Just another little anecdote on the lack of playing time for Jackson or the lack of efficiency off the bench, at least. Yeah, I think something's going on with Jackson, but uh, it's I just, do too. Just me speculating on that. Mm-hmm. I don't know anything about it. So I don't know if we want to get into a full blown discussion, but I thought it would be worthwhile to at least open open the door on this conversation uh and i really i i find it maybe not exactly um i mean it's it's december 5th we're recording this so to to have a real heated discussion about whether or not this team has um toughness and grit uh cooley kind of i think he opened his press conference by saying that they don't right now but i'm talking more in the grand scheme of things like does this team have the personality to I mean, I, I think uh, interesting to see how they play against Brown, because this that'll be their first chance to to get back on the floor after Saturday, to see whether they just take out anger and just dominate Brown, um, and maybe cover the spread for once. They're two and six against the spread this year. Just throwing it out there. Um, but uh, the spread's twenty one opening. Just for people who are interested for the Brown, if you're listening to this on Wednesday morning, uh, the line opened at twenty one, but. Uh, it just seems like they they don't they they've like in years past some of the teams that Cooley had they took on the personality of like a Henton junkyard dog Chris Dunn with that that dog mentality Bryce Cotton I mean all these guys had like that extra level of of toughness and I don't know that Kyron's that guy and then certainly doesn't seem like Rodney has that kind of personality and Jalen. Again, I mean, how can you can you really be like the big time leader when you're taking two shots in a, in a big game? So it'll be interesting to see does this team have the toughness and and the grit? Uh, I think Butler actually right now this year is going with a hashtag of gritty not pretty for when they win games, and I, I really don't know that you could say that about Providence right now. I think Providence is definitely more pretty right now, at least to this point. I don't think there's any sort of grit um, whatsoever, and like you said, there's no. LaDante or Chris like figure here that's got that dog mentality and someone's gonna have to come up with it eventually or else they're gonna be in trouble um clearly it's a it's an issue with the three senior leaders I mean 
like you said, it's it's early. It's December fifth, so maybe we're just overanalyzing um, this team over one game. Um, and you would hope that it would come out, and maybe they'll come out and just you know punch Brown right in the mouth tomorrow and win by twenty two at least to cover the spread. Um, but we'll see. I, I think right now it's definitely uh, not a not a whole lot of grit. Definitely not the same kind of mentality some of the teams have had in the past. I think this is an important stretch, guys, heading into the exam mm-hmm. break. Um, you know, and don't get let's not underestimate you know the op- the opportunity that was missed Saturday trying to get a road non conference one. Those are so very hard to come by, and probably maybe I don't know how much of a criteria it is with the selection committee, but Saturday is the last chance to get a a road non conference win before the start of Big East play. I know that they have a Houston neutral site at uh, Mohegan Sun right before Christmas, but um, right. I think Saturday is very important just to get that. Uh, get a road win in non-conference play yeah and people people forget that a lot that they providence doesn't have a lot of road games and they're done after after saturday on the road because it's a neutral game against houston so um they better beat umass because it's not going to be uh that won't look good that won't look great going zero and two on the road and in, in non-conference play that won't be ideal and not to look past brown but just to, to right. mention we're talking about umass here uh I, honestly, after Saturday, I, I'm a little more nervous about that game than I was uh, last week when we were recording. Um, they they do. Have to, I mean, it's on the road. It's not going to be the same environment as the Ryan Center, obviously, down at Mullins. But uh, I don't know. I mean, they, they Providence has had games where they've let UMass hung, hang around in the past. I know it's a whole different coaching staff now, but some of the same players are there. Um, so that that actually concerns me more than it did a week ago. Um, the Brown game, I think, will it, it will be telling in that. If it's sort of a, a hang around game and Brown, you know, sticks around and maybe they only win by eight or ten or twelve and it's maybe closer than it should be, then I'll be very concerned about Saturday. But if they come out and just blow the doors off Brown, um, I do think that um they they probably would like to carry some of that momentum into Saturday and I think it's just to look ahead at the at the upcoming schedule left in non conference, you have home uh the Sunday the 17th, Stony Brook, uh, then Houston at Mohegan Sun, which will be a lot of fun to get down there again or up there, I guess, for me. Um, and then uh, a Friday night game against Sacred Heart the Friday before Christmas. So that's that's really the remaining stretch here uh, in December before they open at St. John's. So, I, I mean, no team on that I just read really is, again, I mean, Providence will be favored in all those games. But... I'm certainly not comfortable that they're going to run the table, even though they should, and they probably need to, um, if they really want to have any kind of chance of an NCAA tournament bid with a seed that isn't like a 10 or a 9, um, where they have a chance maybe to actually win a game against a, a, a lesser team instead of playing an 8-9 game or whatever the last few years. Um, they really need to take care of business down, down the, the stretch here in non-conference play. And it starts with Brown, and Brown um, is a team that Providence has played 123 times. It's the second most times they've played against a single opponent behind URI. They are the team that Providence owns the most wins against of all time. They're 95 and 28, and uh, the first the teams first met in 1921. So goes back quite a ways. The the Bears, coached by Mike Martin, they lost to URI earlier in the year. People are looking for maybe a comp. But, you know, they're in the Ivy League. Um, they have a couple of nice players, but 
no one that's really um I don't think going to scare anybody. They their leading scorer is a sophomore. Uh Brandon Anderson 19.6 a game. You know they have Jerron Howard's kid on the team. They do. Well, they but they don't have Speed's brother anymore. No, they don't. Nope. So, a little little celebrity uh you know, you're not going to see Jordan Spieth in the stands uh, tomorrow night, most likely. But we did see Evander Holyfield last week, Chris. That's, That's right. right. That's, I meant yeah. to talk about that. Yeah, that, that was yeah. wild. What was he even doing there? He was he was promoting a boxing car that was supposed to be, I think, last Friday. And, you know, I looked over from my perch. You know, I call it the Bud Light Suite right above the PC tunnel. I'm like, look at that. And I'm sitting next to Peter Govis, the Outer Road Stunt Chronicle. I said, hey, Govis, this guy looks like uh, Evander Holyfield. And, you know, I'm looking up pictures and everything, and all of a sudden, okay, he's in Providence. And I'm saying to myself, why is he at the Dunkin' Donuts Center? And, you know, I'm sure you guys went on Twitter later, and you saw a million people who go to that VIP room at, at the Dunk. You know, he must have made his way over there during halftime and, you know, striking a pose with uh, all the Friar fans. So that was cool to see. But uh, Well, he wanted some free popcorn, I think. It's the real perk, yeah. Yeah, he, and he disappeared for a long stretch, too, because, uh, I thought he was gone for the night, and then all of a sudden he he, he resurfaced it as a little Jack Nicholson courtside perch there with about, you know, six minutes to go. And then we don't have to go back and revisit the Ryder game, but he's still probably the best part of the, you know, after the whole, okay, PC, it looks like they're on the ropes here, and, you know, not to borrow from the boxing world or anything like that. But, uh, but uh, you know, it, it was cool to see. Uh, you know, you don't usually see that kind of celebrity at the Dunkin' Donuts Center for a PC basketball game, but uh, that was that was big time. That was a big catch by you. I, I didn't notice it, uh, and I saw your tweet um, on my laptop as I was, you know, trying to put together an outline for the game and stuff. And I saw your tweet, and I sent you a message. I said, where, where are you seeing this? I looked across, and he's in Shanley and Driscoll's seats. And you, I mean, you couldn't miss it. It was obvious it wasn't Driscoll sitting in his normal seat, um, but he is a mammoth in person to walk by to say the least but that was very cool to uh very cool to see him there absolutely we should probably mention that driscoll and father shanley the school president they weren't there i think they were still over in belfast because that's where the uh they, they were with the hockey team the hockey team get, get, came back and i think they spent a couple extra days out there so that's why those seats were available for the champ right well i mean who knows who'll show up on what for this game against brown i mean you just never know at the dunk never these days. Know. <laughs> Wasn't the the girl who played the Harry, the Harry Potter movies? Maybe she'll uh, make her way. The, the, yeah, she's always in Providence. She yeah. may have graduated. I don't know. She was she was around when I was there. It was years ago. Yeah, maybe she's a really big PC fan. You never know. That's yeah. you really never know these days. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, just looking at the UMass, I mean, that's I think that's huge just to get a road win in non conference play. Yeah, and Mike, like you said, the. I'm not very comfortable, you know, going up to Amherst on Saturday. They should win. I, I think they will win. But Rashawn Holloway always concerns me. I feel like he always gives us trouble. And I hate saying it every time, but not having him at Holt and dealing with Rashawn Holloway is uh, is a difficult thing to do. He's an absolute house. You know, he's like 6'11", over 300 pounds. He's a monster underneath. And he doesn't play a ton of minutes because he doesn't have, you know, a ton of durability. But He's a factor underneath. I think he's he's averaging like ten and six, ten and five, something like that. Um, so he kind of concerns me. And Pipkins, who uh, reminds me a little bit of Stevie Jordan, who obviously torched us on Wednesday night um, with Ryder. He's kind of similar. He's a small point guard who's really good at finishing in transition. He's really quick. Um, he averages eighteen 
the game. So those two, I think, will give Providence a little trouble. So those are my kind of guys to look out for against the Minutemen, at least. Yeah, I think it'll be a good test for the young big guys. I mean, Holloway is a load, and, and he's pretty experienced now. I think for him, it's it's more a matter like his his points per game and rebounds don't sound impressive. Right. But I think what people don't realize is that it's for him, it's all about conditioning and foul trouble. So in games where he is able to stay out of foul trouble, he will score 18 points. So in games where he's in foul trouble, he scores six. And yeah, um, I don't, you know, it'd be a good test for for Khalif Young, who got to play a little bit against him last year, and then Nate Watson uh, to go up against a legitimate huge person. Um, yeah, which they'll have to. They have to really, Yeah, I mean, they haven't really seen it yet. Um, mm-hmm. And and they're obviously going to start seeing it uh, when the calendar turns to January a little bit. Yeah, I mean Andre Barry, Andre Barry's big and and he's effective, but he's not Rashawn Holloway. Holloway's just a monster. He's a gigantic human being. Yeah, and UMass always is able to put points up. So, and that's one thing that these young big guys for the Friars, I think they learn need to maybe take a page out of like an Andre Barry or even a Holloway. You know, they know how to like you know carve out space so they can do work. I don't think. That's one thing I've noticed from Khalif and uh, Nate Watson right now, that they're two guys who, you know, they're big, and most of the time they should be able to impose their will. But it's about maybe finding that right position on the blocks where you know you're comfortable and you just go to work immediately. You know, there's no hesitation in the slice bit. And maybe going up against the Holloway, a big, massive beast can help them, like, see, okay, this is what maybe I can model my game after this in a college setting. Yeah, that would be ideal. Creating your own space is something every big man kind of has to go through to become an effective and consistent front court member. So obviously, we're still waiting for Khalif and Nate to do that. So obviously, taking a page out of those those guys' books, Barry and, and Holloway, or a little more experience, would be ideal. Well, I feel like we should we should uh, we should end where we started. Uh, since we're talking about big guys, um, I might as well throw in a plug for Georgetown here. Uh, Jesse Govan, Marcus Derrickson, both large guys. Shout out to Doug Downey again for ranking uh, Georgetown in his top 25 this week, despite their horrendous, horrendous non-conference schedule. Uh, he also, just as an aside, did not rank Seton Hall in the top 25. So uh, this is not just like some some random. I mean, it's unbelievable. It really is. I, I don't know how he had Indiana. Guys, he had Indiana really high too, which is his his bizarre. bracket is a joke. And yeah. somebody sent me uh, a link to a Google search where if you search his name and Poll attacks like Gary Parish column he does every week. He's been in it quite a bit. N- yeah, not a surprise right to anybody. Yeah. So uh, apologies to Doug and his family who uh, apparently didn't like the fact that I was being factually accurate on Twitter today. Um, but uh, anybody else have anything to they want to to send the people off with? You know, I guess this is the final two games before the exam break. I like like we hinted at. It's important. I think this is a important week just to. Maybe not only get wins, but also play well. I mean, you could probably only count like the BC game and the St. Louis games where the Friars maybe have played well. And even if you dig deeper into those two games, you can find like the warts. You'll, I think I'm looking forward to see whether this PC team can play a complete game from uh, start to tip rather than uh, in spurts, which they have done for the vast majority of the season to date. Yeah, it's an important week, definitely, like you said. I, I think it'll be interesting to see how some of the guys respond after like Jalen and, and Kyron disappeared against URI. It'll be interesting to see how they respond. Um, and, and, you know, I'm just excited to 
kind of get things going. I feel like up until now, everyone has been waiting for the URI game. Now that we're past it, we can kind of look towards the remaining part of this schedule and on to Big East play. So it'll be nice to kind of get that out of the way and see how this team really responds and see if they can play a complete game. And as for your Twitter beef, Mike, uh, uh, yeah, I was impre- Doug, Doug Dowdy's, you know, Twitter gang is pretty impressive. His family will, will try and throw you in a Twitter locker if you, if you trip it all at him. So just beware to all the listeners out there. Don't mess with the, the Dowdy gang on Twitter. He's in the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame, so I mean you can really can't argue with that. Uh the Roanoke Times should be proud. Damn proud. Damn proud. All right, back here in the studio. Another episode in the uh, in the can of the Providence Friarcast. I want to give a special shout out now to uh my some of my patrons. We got uh John Lee Dumas, J L D, Mike Evans, my parents, Adam Nagel, Bob Allison, Ron Torbick. Brendan Ryan, Dan Marcus, Joe DeAngelis, Dennis Corbett, Mike Saburn, Ray Penza, Dennis Burns, Alex Simeone, Chris Thurlow, G, Terry Meyer, and Alan Russ. So a special shout-out to those guys. If you'd like to join them and get your name shouted out, head over to patreon.com slash pcbb1917. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash pcbb1917. For just $3 a month, you can join our Slack community. And uh, for $5 a month, you get access to the recruiting channel. For $10 a month, you get uh, a bunch of cool things, including getting your name shouted out in the uh, in the podcast every week. So check that out at patreon.com slash pcbb1917. Make sure you head over to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and review. We got some ratings last week. It would be great to get some reviews as well. You can make them funny. You can make them interesting. Tell your favorite fryer memory, anything really. Uh, I'd love to read what you have to say. Always looking for feedback here early on in the Providence Fryer cast. Shouldn't be a problem for anybody, but I did move the podcast hosting from one service to another. So if you're not seeing the episode immediately on iTunes, head over to podbean.com, P-O-D-B-E-A-N.com. Find the episode directly there, and I'll also be posting an embedded version on the website. So you can get it any number of ways. Easiest is on iTunes or Overcast or any other podcast uh, vehicle that you use. Subscribe there to get the latest episode automatically downloaded. And again, leave us a rating and a review. If you're still listening, uh, proud of you. Nice job. Uh, have a little little secret uh, ending to the podcast here, maybe. Anyone who's still listening, you, you want to fire off uh, a tweet to me tomorrow when you listen with the hashtag SurprisePCBB, and maybe you'll get a little surprise. I guess a little surprise coming for some of my patrons. They don't know it yet uh, for the holidays, a little Christmas surprise for uh, for the patrons. So if you're still listening to this, Tomorrow, when you listen, or when whenever you listen, head over to my Twitter at pcbb1917. Tweet at me with the hashtag #surprisepcbb. Talk to everybody next week. Don't forget to subscribe to the Providence Friarcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Follow Mike. Follow Mike Hopkins on Twitter and Instagram at PCBB1917. Like the Facebook page. And as always, stay classy, Friartown.